Tonight, um, I'm going to pull a story out of the middle of the book of 1 Kings, the deep, dark depths of the Old Testament. Uh, man, there's some revelation right here. I mean, there's, some, there's stories, in the, these stories in the Old Testament, these, particularly in the period of this, the kings that we've been looking at, there's some really profound stuff here. These are not just, this is not just history, it's prophetic stories that have very rich messages. The big, one of the big issues at this time, through the time of the kings, is the issue of worship, the issue of, of getting this right, being uh, worshiping God and God alone. This is really a crucial, crucial issue at this time. And I just wanna say a couple of things about worship and, and, and also how worship, the form that it took at this time. I mean, when we think worship, we think of coming into church and singing songs, which is a wonderful expression of worship. It's a wonderful way of us all together in unity focusing on God. In these Old Testament times, the expression of worship was actually much more tangible than that. It was built into everyday life. It was not, worship wasn't an event. It was a way of life, it was a rhythm of life, and it particularly involves some form of sacrificial giving. That was very, very crucial, actually, to the very concept of, of worship, is giving something back to God that involved some sacrifice, something that you felt, something that required you to think, oh, gee, can I, you know, can I really afford this? Or Because it was an expression of faith. It was an expression of, of saying to God, well, you are God, I rely on you. It was an acknowledgement that God is our provider and the one who owns our lives and everything that we have. And so, so they would practice not only um, occasional sacrifices, but regular offerings. And one of the most was the, the offering of the first fruits. When, you know, this is an agrarian society and they would wait in anticipation for the crops to come up and come to fruition and the, the, the flocks and the herds and so forth. And it was really important part of, of their, their way of life that when the first fruits and of their crops, that, that they didn't just run off with that and use that for themselves, but they actually brought that first part, that first portion, and they offered that over to God. This was a regular practice. And of course, that happened when the, you know, when the harvest came through, but this connected with that was also the law of, of tithes, the idea of tithing, which was actually a worship thing. It was a worship thing. It was a way of acknowledging regularly, giving something back to God as an acknowledgement that He is God. It was a tangible act of sacrifice that was regularly built into their way of life. And the, the effect that it was meant to have is that it was meant to orient their lives very much, and, and perhaps a good way to illustrate this, is that it would, in, in a sense, put their lives into the right orbit. Like planet Earth orbiting the sun, our lives need to be in the right orbit. We, we, you know, we, need, we need, in order to create conditions for real spiritual life, we need to put ourselves in the right orbit. And this is the effect that worship has. Worship is essentially, is making God central, is recognizing the centrality 
of God in your life. Acts of worship recognize that, that centrality. And, and the idea of giving first fruits was also this recognition that God is to be always first, always first place. A good definition uh, or, or a way of understanding worship is that worship in a sense is your highest and your first love. We all love a lot of things, but what, what you love ultimately, what you ultimately love is essentially what you worship. And that will orient yours. Now, we all have other relationships. We have other, and, and I hope we love the, our family and our friends and the people around us. We're meant to love those people, but our lives are not to orbit around those people. Our lives are to be in orbit around our God. And the orbit that you establish, not only for yourself, but your family, it will affect everyone who orbits around you in that sense. Because, you know, we, we draw people in relationships, people that don't know God, even our children. The regular patterns of worship, I know as a parent, the regular patterns of worship for my kids growing up, it drew them into an orbit as, 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 as we as a family drew into that orbit. So our whole family did. That was the purpose of these things. It was about putting God first. And this is this idea of God being first is really enshrined in the very first commandment. The very first commandment, you know, the, the, the preamble is, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 5 verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. Notice the emphasis, no other gods before me. Now, this isn't saying, look, you can have idols, you can worship idols as long as you put God first. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that if you put anything, anything that is put before God becomes an idol because God must have first and central place. And of course, one of the big issues in biblical times, and it's as much an issue today, but it was, it was very tangibly so in biblical times, was the temptation to worship other gods because there was a sense of security because um, people in this, again, very agrarian society, they linked things like fertility, the weather patterns, they linked those things to gods. Now, the Bible corrects that and says God is the only one in charge of all of those things, right? But these people, they had this, this belief that, you know, the weather was connected with Baal and if you, need, if you wanted rain for your crops so that you don't starve to death, you know, you've got to keep Baal happy. And, you know, if you want fertility for, for you know, for, for your farm and, and for your family and, you know, then, then you had to worship the, you know, had to pay obeisance to uh, Ashtoreth, who became Ishtar in later tradition, who was the goddess of fertility. And so those two gods particularly, man, these people just, okay, I'm just gonna, I, and, and often they would bring their first fruits to them because that's the immediate pressures of life, isn't it? Well, I've gotta, we've gotta eat, and if the crops, if we don't have fertility, and if, if we don't have rain, we're gonna all starve to death, so we'll just, okay, let's keep, you know, we'll sacrifice, to, we'll bring the first fruits to Baal and to Ashtoreth, and oh, but we'll worship God as well. You know, we'll rock up at the temple and we'll, you know, praise you, Lord, and all of that sort of stuff. But the problem was, 
is that they put these other things first because they were so worried about, look, you know, not starving to death. Now, this is particularly in the time that this story that I'm going to look at today in 1 Kings 17, it's a story about Elijah. And Elijah is one of the most famous prophets in the Bible. And prophets did their thing in a few different ways. Prophets, in a sense, embodied the Word of God. They didn't just speak the Word of God. They really embodied the Word of God. In a sense, the prophets were like a sort of prefiguration of Jesus Christ, who is in the ultimate and true sense, the word embodiment of God's word. The prophets were kind of a prefiguration of that in the sense that it's not only that they spoke God's word, but even the things that they did, God spoke through the things that they did. And even things that happened to them had a message attached to it. I mean, think, for example, for those of you who know the story of Jonah, I mean, the story of Jonah is like, you know, he does a runner of, you know, all these weird things happen to Jonah. There's no prophetic oracles in Jonah. But you see, it's a prophetic book. And he is a prophet because of what happens to him. That is prophetic. So this is very much the case with Elijah and then Elijah's successor, Elisha, when you read those stories. Always recognize it's not just what these guys say that's prophetic. It's what they do and also what happens to them. So that's important for this story because something prophetic is happening in this story. This is during the time of Ahab and Jezebel. Now, this Ahab and Jezebel, they really went hard with worshipping the Baals and the Ashtoreths. In fact, Jezebel wanted the the, uh, Israelites in the northern part of the 12 tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom. She wanted them only to worship Baal and Asherah. In fact, she killed off prophets. And, and she, was from, uh, she was from Phoenicia up in the north. Uh, now, Phoenicia was like the capital. It's like that's where Baal lived. That's his home base. And the Asherahs, that's where they're from. Right Now, she wanted to take this form of worship that was very, very much a Phoenician form of worship and, and really enforce it. In, because, of course, they wanted prosperity. If you want prosperity, you've got to worship these gods, right? That's why. So it's during this time that God speaks to Elijah the prophet. And the issue here is very much about true worship as opposed to false worship. And it's got a lot to do, as I said, with those very tangible ways of offering worship. All of that's background for this story. So I'm gonna gonna read from um, 1 Kings 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. I always love the way that it put that. Given particularly, this this is just a little footnote. You get this for free. I love the, it always says the word of the Lord came to this prophet in, in, the, in the light of the fact that we know that Jesus is the word, you know, and, and you know, there's the, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and, and the word of the Lord's going to set up a scenario now that's going to speak prophetically about this whole situation. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now, Sidon was the capital of Phoenicia. Okay, this is Baal's hometown. This is Ashtoreth's home base, right? So Elijah, go there. And what's going to happen is that 
we're going to find an example, while all of Israel's worshipping the Baals and the Asherahs, we're going to find an example of true worship up there in the home base of the Baals and the Asherahs. That's what's amazing about this story. It goes outside of Israel, into Phoenicia, out into the darkness of the pagan world. And he's going to find a widow and she's going to demonstrate. And it's going to be an indictment upon Israel that this widow, Phoenician widow, is a true worshipper. So go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, one of the key ideas of the first fruits and the tithes at this time was to support the ministry of the word. It was to support the ministries of the temple. It was to support the worship center, right? So, you know, so this idea that, that people needed to provide these so that the, the, the Levites and, and, and who often uh, fulfilled a kind of prophetic role as well, that they would be supported, right? So it's kind of echoes that. I know you're probably thinking, where is all that here? It's implied. <laughs> So I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Because the Israelites are too busy trying to kill him. Verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink. As she was going to get it, he called, oh, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied. Notice how she acknowledges the God of Israel. She acknowledges the Lord. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. Widows in the ancient world were the poorest of the poor. They were the poorest of the poor. She said, I am gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first, but first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Now, this is either really selfish or there's a really important message here. Can I give you the hint? It's the latter. It's the second. Because it really looks selfish. Oh, oh, first, make some bread for me. Bring it to me. And then, it's very emphatic, in fact. In fact, the Hebrew word first there, it's a very strong, has a very strong sense of priority, not just numeric priority, but importance. But most importantly, but primary of all, but first, bring some to me 
make some bread for me, because remember what the prophet represents in that situation. He is God's representative in that situation. He embodies the promise of God. First, bring some to me. Bring it to me first. And then make something for yourself. It's the language of first fruits. This is the language of first fruits. It's the language of worship. Verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and she did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. It reminds me of the story of Jesus when he was out in the desert and there were 5,000 people. And, and, you know, they find some poor kid with a few loaves and fish, his lunch, and they steal the poor kid's lunch. Well, no, they don't really do that. But, you know, they, they, they ask for his lunch. Like, first, like, give us the whole lot. But it becomes a feast for 5,000 people and there are 12 baskets fulls left over at the end. But first, bring it to me. But first, bring it to me and see what I will do with it and there will always be enough for you. It's the exact principle that Jesus teaches. See, this, this is, it's not just about giving. This is about worship. It's about a way of life. Do you understand? This is about an orbit. It's about an orbit. Because Jesus said, where your treasure goes, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure goes, your heart will go there too. So Jesus says, picking up an exactly the same principle here. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. You see, that's a different orbit. Their lives orbit around those concerns. Security, do I have enough money in the bank? Is my, have I, do, I have, do I have a good enough house and a good enough car? Is my lifestyle, you know, is lifestyle, is, it, is their lives orbit around these things? Listen, Jesus says, please don't do that. That's the wrong orbit. For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. There is, a, there is a life of worship being described there. Seek first the kingdom of God. Have no other gods before me. Don't put anyone else in the center. Make sure your life is not orbiting around anyone else. And because we have an almost, not almost, but an irrepressible tendency 
to get knocked out of orbit, we constantly and regularly need to do things to actually remind ourselves of who's central. We constantly need, this is why sacrifice is important, because a sacrifice costs you something. And where your treasure goes, your heart goes also. I realized recently, I almost never talk about money because I, I, I sense, you know, our lives revolve around money in our society. <laughs> like, and it's difficult to talk about. You can talk about anything else, but don't you talk about my money. Don't you tell me what to do with my money. I know you're not explicitly thinking that, but I know that there's part of you that is. <laughs> but God wants to lay a claim on something here. Yes, money. In the same, I mean, in an agrarian society, it was crops and herds, and it wasn't necessarily physical money. But for us, everything boils down to this, doesn't it? Money. What the figures are in the bank. And that can easily become the central thing. And our lives can revolve around. We can choose a job based on how, many, you know, how much money we can choose. You know, we, can, we can make life choices based on, on these sorts of things, based on these material concerns. And may you make lots of money, sure, go, go for it, go. Just don't make it central. Have no other gods before me. It's all about your orbit. And you actually need to do things to keep yourself in that orbit. It's not gonna happen. Let me tell you, with, your, with our, our bad wheel alignment, spiritual wheel alignment, it's not gonna happen automatically. Lots of regular acts of sacrifice are gonna be necessary for this. And this is why this same practice of giving of the first fruits, giving a portion of our income regularly carries right through into the New Testament. It's the, very, it's the thing that is pointed out about the New Testament. It's one of the main things that's pointed out about the New Testament church. It says, and they shared everything that they had. In other words, they withdrew from their individualistic burrows and they created a common life. They created a common purse for a common purpose. I mean, at the start, it was like 100%. I mean, as time went on, though, it had to be, you know, in a sense, at least, at least the tithe, the word tithe comes from the idea of a tenth. It was a regular practice that kept them connected with the higher thing because there was always a tendency for them to retreat back into the individualistic burrows and they needed to be reminded constantly, hang on, there's something bigger than my, my life and my lifestyle goals and my, my you know, security needs. I've got to give to something bigger. And so they created a common purpose for a common purpose and they created community. We talk about creating community and of course, an important part of community is coming and gathering together. But if we don't share, all we've got is a crowd. A group of people becomes Christian community when we begin to worship. And worship isn't just singing songs. It's about sharing. We become a group of people, a crowd of people become a community when we begin to share when we create a common purse. For a, it's a beautiful vision, actually. In a world of, where everyone's running after their own goals, 
that there in the midst of this chaotic world would be a group of people that would say, whoa, 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 hang on. We're in the wrong orbit here. Our lives, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my household, we will worship God and God alone. We will bring our first fruits to him, the first portion. And we will give it. And our hearts will go with it. And we will find ourselves in the right orbit. Given how central, given how central a concern our money is in our day and age, if, our, if your faith does not affect what you do with your money, what, what kind of faith is that? Every fortnight, fortnight based on my pay cycle, I hop on my computer and I go click, 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 and I transfer a tithe, a tenth, into our common purse, to One Hope Church. And it's a few clicks, but here's the thing for me, there's a number of reasons why I do, all the reasons that I've suggested, but the most important reason why I do that, because it's the one thing in my life that actually feels like a sacrifice that really feels like a sacrifice. And so it is the most important act of worship in my life. It's also the first thing that goes out the window if my faith starts to drift, if I start losing focus. Hang on, what, what, I, I just, is it amazing how easy it is to forget that? But it is truly the most important act of worship because there's something about that. I know it's just a few clicks for me, but it's in that moment, it has the impact of taking my heart where my treasure goes into the purpose of God, into something higher. It elevates my mind and my heart, and that is what worship is meant to do. It's meant to put you into the right orbit. I have a vision, folks, for a community of worshipers, a community of worshipers, who are in the same orbit. And whose worship is characterized by regular small acts of sacrifice, of generosity, of outflow. And we can create a common purse for a common purpose and do amazing things together. The possibilities when you put things like the the loaves and the fish, when you put things into Jesus' hands, the possibilities are amazing. Not only will you be looked after, but God will be glorified in a world that so needs to see something different, in a world that so needs to see a different orbital system in play. Does that make sense? I'd like you to stand with me tonight and as we... As we close, I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask God to just stir in your heart. What is it that you need to do? It's like you don't have to, it may not be, you know, don't, don't automatically think, I've got to do some massive big thing. Just, it's like something and something, it's about regularity. And so ask God, what is it, God, that you are asking of me? How are you challenging me? So Father, we submit ourselves to you tonight. Father, we wanna become true worshipers, Lord. Father, we wanna become a people whose lives orbit around you.
And Lord, I ask tonight that you would dethrone any other concern, every worry that takes central place. Father, would you speak your word just as through Elijah, you said, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Jesus says, you said, do not worry about that. Do not be anxious about those things. But seek first. But first. But first. Bring that portion to me, that sacrifice. Bring a sacrifice to my altar. Bring yourself into orbit. Come and worship. Come and worship with sacrifice. And so, Father, would you stir in each of our hearts? Lift us up, Lord God. Lift us up to a place of faith. Lift us up to a higher perspective, Lord. Challenge our hearts, Lord. What's next for each one of us? What's the next step? What's that next step upwards? What's that next step further into faith? We step out into you, Lord. Commit ourselves, everything we have, it is all yours. It's all yours. From you comes life and everything. We worship you, Lord.